Good morning, friends. It's so wonderful to be back here worshiping with you on this Lord's Day. You know, um, I was very blessed to have the opportunity to go attend the Sulphur Fourth of July meeting. Maybe you got to go up there and attend that one, or maybe you uh, went up to Springfield or some other meeting I haven't heard about. And those sorts of meetings are great blessings. Sometimes we're a little disappointed when we have to come back home, you know, to the regular worship. But we have to remember that we can't just all stay together all the time because we have a mission to go back out into the world, into our communities, and preach the gospel to them. So let's use uh, this motivation, uh, this uh, encouragement that we experienced from the meeting to fuel our efforts to go back out into our communities and to preach. This morning, I want to talk about uh, a topic which has been on uh, not just my mind lately, but it's a topic that many people in the world have been uh, considering and have been interested in, and that is women's role models. You know, there are little girls out there who are looking for an example to follow of what a woman should be. And the world is offering up many examples of uh, what a woman should be and how she should uh, act and what she should look like. You know, Proverbs 31, verses 30 and 31 says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands And let her own works praise her in the gates. The wisdom of Proverbs says, hold up a godly woman as an example, as a a role model. Recognize her. Let her works praise her. And I think that's right. And that's what I'd like to do this morning. I want to share with you the story of one such woman who feared God over in the book of 1 Samuel. And to introduce uh, the chapter, I'd like to read 1 Samuel chapter 25, verses 2 and 3. The Bible says, Now there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel, and the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance, but the man was harsh and evil in all his doings. This is a phenomenal story. It's a dramatic story. Disaster would have ensued. Many people would have died on the account of one stubborn man. And Israel's future king would have been disgraced if it wasn't for the intervention and the action of this godly woman named Abigail. And that's who I'd like to talk about and learn some things from her life this morning. Right now, however, we want to take a moment to take our cares and our concerns before the Father. So please humble yourself while we pray. 1 Samuel 25 marks 
a troubling time in the land of Israel. Maybe you remember how Saul was anointed king of Israel, but he fell out of favor with God because of his pride. And so David was anointed to be his successor. And this made Saul furious. It drove him crazy. And he desired to kill David. And so David had to flee for his life. So David went out to hide in the wilderness. But people heard about David and his plight, and soon there were people coming from everywhere to join up with David. And the Bible says that some of these people were seedy characters, some were outlaws, some were people who were in debt with Saul. And so they hoped maybe siding with David would get them out of debt. Uh, Some were people who were in trouble with the law. And uh, so you had all sorts coming out. The Bible says there were about 400 men who joined themselves to David. And they uh, comprised a motley crew. The Bible says they had faces like lions. So these men were warriors. They were fierce. But they were also loyal to David to a fault. They respected him and they listened to to him. And so David, through his charisma, was able to control them. And he sort of became their captain. I suppose David could have gone and overthrown Saul if he had wanted to with this own uh, personal army of his, but he didn't do that. Saul said, or David said, Saul is the Lord's anointed. And so I'm not going to raise a hand against him. Now, when we come to 1 Samuel 25, the prophet Samuel has just died. Now, maybe you remember, Samuel was really the last person that Saul would listen to. And on occasion, Samuel could talk some sense into Saul. Now Samuel is dead. And really, David is on his own out here in the wilderness with this crew of his. It says that David relocated to the wilderness of Paran. This is an area on the border of southern Judah and the Sinai Peninsula. And it's an area that was mostly uninhabited pasture land. There were no big cities, mostly uh, grasslands that were good for grazing your herds. Now, while he was there, uh, he saw these roving bands of Amalekites that were raiding villages and they would take away crops They would take away livestock and they would attack these people who were caring for the flocks. Now, maybe you remember that David had been a shepherd boy before all of this. And you know, shepherding was a hard job in that day and time. David had grown up as a shepherd and I imagine that it pained him greatly to see the plight these people were in. These poor, innocent workers being harassed. And so, David and his fighting men intervened. They went in, they defended the herdsmen, and they offered their assistance in driving off these raiders. Now, as we read before the prayer, there was a man who lived in this area named Nabal. Nabal means fool. And friends, let me tell you, there has never been someone more accurately named than Nabal. He was a rich man. He owned 
many of the flocks and the vast majority of the land in this area. But that's not what made him a fool. Being rich didn't make him a fool in and of itself. He was a fool because of his attitude and his demeanor towards other people. The King James Version says he was a churlish man. And that's an old English expression. Literally, it means he was a dog. He was somebody who was vulgar and selfish and ill-tempered and rude. Now, friends, when the Bible calls somebody a fool, we would do well to pay attention and to see why they're being called a fool so that we don't make the same mistake. We don't want to emulate that behavior. Now, one of the easiest ways that you can spot a fool is how they treat other people. It came time for Nabal to shear his sheep. And in Eastern culture, that was a time of great celebration. It was a time of charity. It was very common for the master of an estate to put on a feast for all of his workers and his neighbors and to give generous gifts. And you better believe that Nabal was going to have a feast. He was going to feast like a king. In fact, the Bible says that he gorged himself and he got drunk. Now, David has been protecting Nabal's livestock from these raiders. And even though they had been starving, they didn't take a single one of Nabal's sheep to eat. And this entitled them to some hospitality and some compensation. And so David hears about Nabal throwing this feast. And David sends some young men down there to go talk to Nabal. And he says, tell Nabal that you're servants of David. And he knows that we have protected his property. And you ask him if he'll give us something to eat for our services. Well, Nabal was sitting there drunkenly on a stool. And these young men walked up and they said, you know, we're servants of David. And David has protected your property. And we've come to see if you'll give us some gifts. And I can just imagine Nabal crossing his arms and looking over there and slurring drunkenly, who is David except an outlaw and a rascal? There's no way I'm going to give him anything that I've got. Now, Nabal knew who David was. David was God's anointed. Everybody knew that. That's why David was on the run from Saul. That's why people were flocking to the wilderness to come join up with David. That wasn't something that was hidden. To reject David's request for food was to rebel against Yahweh's anointing. Not only that, but David and his men, they deserved some compensation. You know, often rich people are very concerned about their money they keep meticulous track of their assets. They know exactly where things are at. Nabal knew who it was who was responsible for keeping his flock safe. He just didn't want to give David his due. Well, these young men come back to David and they tell David everything that happened. You know, some people think David might have had red hair. And I'll tell you, if he did have red hair, he had a temper to match his red hair. Because as soon as these young men come tell him, Nabal wants to know who David is. 
But David says, strap on your swords, boys. We're going to go teach Nabal who David is. And they were determined to wipe out Nabal and his whole family in a moment of wrath. Now, it's at this point that we're introduced to the hero of the story, Abigail. You know, Abigail was an exceptional woman who was trapped in difficult circumstances. Uh, she was most likely in this marriage by arrangement. Probably uh, her parents came from a family of comparable wealth to Nabal, and so they arranged this marriage, as was the custom of the time. And this marriage was a total mismatch. You know, she, Abigail, she was beautiful in appearance. She was beautiful on the inside and on the out, but her husband was ugly. She was intelligent, but her husband was a fool. She was prudent and skilled at dealing with people, but Nabal certainly was not. Others respected Abigail, but Nabal was a source of contempt. And you know, this is often the case, unfortunately, isn't it? When uh, a woman finds herself in a mismatched marriage, and we hear about that all the time, don't we? Uh, a woman marries a man, and maybe it turns out she didn't really know him like she thought she did. Maybe it happened through no fault of her own. And that is a heartbreaking situation. How would you handle being in that situation, married to a churlish person like Nabal? Abigail had to live with the shame of his reputation. She was unjustly affected by the consequences of his misdeeds. You know, most likely she was the subject of abuse from Nabal. Abigail had every right to feel sorry for herself if she had been transformed into a bitter woman by this situation, nobody would have batted an eye. Nobody would have thought that was unusual. But that's not what happened. Abigail's response to her situation was strong. And she resolved to make the best of difficult circumstances. She didn't compromise her morals. She didn't stoop to Nabal's level, but she put the interests of others above her own, and she trusted in the Lord. And in doing so, she made a reputation for herself. Nabal's workers knew that she was more trustworthy than Nabal. When there was a problem, they were coming to Abigail for a solution. And that's exactly what happens here. One of Nabal's workers overhears the insult, and he goes straight to Abigail. And he told her in verses 14 through 17, Look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he reviled them. But as long as we accompanied them, uh, uh, but the men were very good to us, and we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything as long as we accompanied them when we were in the fields. They were a wall to us both night and day. All the time we were with them keeping the sheep. Now, therefore, know and consider what you will do. For harm is determined against our master and against all his household. For he is such a scoundrel that one cannot speak to him. That servant said, Nabal is not going to listen to anybody. Abigail, you've got to do something about the situation. And she did. She thought, 
this churlish man, he is going to bring destruction on our whole household. And so she acted quickly. She called for some maidens. She said, quick, get some food and some gifts together. And she and her maidens got on their camels and they rode out to meet David on the road. Now that must have been quite the sight. Here comes David and his bloodthirsty band. They're coming down out of the hills with weapons in hand. And now here comes a group of women riding up the road to meet them. Bible says that they met on the road and Abigail got off of her camel and she bowed down before David. And when David saw this woman and her humility and he heard the speech that she's about to give him, it stopped him in his tracks. I want to read this speech that Abigail made. I think it's one of the most beautiful and poignant speeches in the Bible. This is 1 Samuel 25, verses 24 through 31. The Bible says, So she fell at his feet and said, On me, my Lord, on me let this iniquity be. And please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. Please let not my Lord regard this scoundrel Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed, and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. And now this present which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord, and evil is not found in you throughout your days." Yet a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life. But the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling. And it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you ruler over Israel, that this will be no grief to you nor offensive heart to my Lord, either that you have shed blood without cause or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. You know, the book of Proverbs personifies wisdom as a woman. And oftentimes there's a lot of truth in that, isn't there? Oftentimes when men are quick to anger and wrath, it's the cooler heads of women that prevail. And I'm so thankful for the wisdom of this godly woman, Abigail. I want to take a moment and break down some things that she teaches in this speech. There is something here for everyone to learn. First of all, Abigail says, David, stop and think. Whatever you're about to do, do it to me instead. Now think about that. Here's this beautiful woman 
down on the ground and she says, I know you're mad at Nabal and rightfully so. He's a fool. You're on your way to kill him, but here I am. Do it to me instead. Now that took the wind right out of David's sails and it forced him to think about the consequences of his actions. You see, Nabal was a fool, but Abigail, the servants, the children, they didn't deserve to suffer death because of his foolishness. You know, it's easy to take vengeance on somebody that you're angry with, but what about others that would be affected? You know, the sin of guilt, uh, the, the guilt of sin is on the person who commits it. But, you know, sometimes the consequences reach farther than them and affect innocent people. We're still experiencing the effects of Adam and Eve's sin today. We don't inherit their sin, but we are feeling the effects of the corruption that their sin brought on the world. We need to be careful and we need to think about how our actions might affect other innocent people. You know, even the best of us can get swept away by temptation when we allow our feelings to take control. In this situation, David was tired. He was hungry. He was in fear. He was isolated. You know, the devil came after Jesus when he was in a similar state. And that's because the devil is not looking for a fair fight. The devil wants to strike when you are at your weakest. And so we have to be on guard always. Isn't that what Jesus said? Jesus said, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. And oftentimes, sins would be avoided if we would just stop and think and pray. The second thing that Abigail says is that Nabal is not worth killing. She says, Nabal lives up to his name. He is a fool, and fools are not worth the time and energy. That's true. Fools are characterized by a lack of the fear of the Lord. They think that they are perfect in their own eyes. And so you can't reason with a fool. As Proverbs 18.2 says, fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own opinions. And Proverbs 26 Verses 4 and 5 gives us this wisdom. It says, Do not answer a fool according to his foolishness, or you will also be like him. Answer a fool as his foolishness deserves, so that he will not be wise in his own eyes. You know what this is telling us? Never argue with a fool. It's not worth it. They will drag you down to their level and then beat you with experience. Brother Bob Loudermilk said this one time, and it has really stuck with me. He said, some things are better off ignored than attacked. If you think about that, attention is the oxygen of conflict. And if you fight a problem, you breathe life into it. There are some problems where it's better to simply starve it of your attention, and you will suffocate it. It is... I think you might be surprised just how many problems will go away if you simply starve them of your attention. And that is how you should treat a fool. Proverbs 6, 
verses 12 through 15 talks about the fate of a foolish person like Nabal. It says, the wicked man's calamity shall come suddenly. Suddenly he shall be broken without remedy. The way that a fool chooses to live is going to bring calamity on themselves sooner or later. Sometimes it's better to just ignore them. They're not worth the time and the energy. Third, Abigail says, let the Lord avenge you. You are God's anointed. Let God take vengeance on your behalf. And friends, that is some fantastic advice. You know, Abigail had lived humbly with this man. She'd put up with his foolishness for a long time. If anyone in this situation had the right to be angry, it was Abigail. She could have told David, please get rid of this man for me. I will take you to him if you'll just get him out of the way. But she didn't stoop to Nabal's level. She took the high road and she encouraged David to do the same. You know, personal vengeance is the easy way out. It takes great strength to trust in the Lord that he is going to work things out. You know, later in life, as he reflected on this difficult period, David penned these words in Psalm 34, verses 15 through 19. He said, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. And then verse 17, The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. The promise to the righteous is not that they're going to live easy lives. In fact, oftentimes taking the high road, living righteously, invites more persecution than if you had it. Because there are wicked, immoral people out there who don't appreciate the, uh, how you convict them when you live righteously. Oftentimes, the righteous have to deal with more afflictions. But the promise of the Lord is that he will see you through the trial. He will deliver you out of the affliction. Fourth, Abigail says to David, you are innocent so far. But if you do this, you won't be innocent anymore. You're innocent so far? Keep a clear conscience. Don't let your conscience be ruined by the actions you're about to take. It's true. David had been unjustly insulted. David had been defrauded for work that he had performed. But Abigail says, David, don't do wrong to try to correct Nabal's wrong. Two wrongs don't make a right. One sinful act cannot be corrected with another sinful act. You know, that's how Jesus lived. In 1 Peter 2.23, it says that Jesus, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Jesus put it into the hands of the Father. And we are called to do the same thing as Christians. In Romans 12, verses 19 through 21, Paul writes, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. 
For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We don't respond to evil with evil in turn. We respond to evil with good in the hopes that that person will be startled and they will see that their evil is not having the effect that maybe they intended. And they'll be led to find out why we're responding in such a way and perhaps be led to God. That would be a wonderful thing. And wouldn't you regret it if you repaid evil for evil and later on that person became a Christian? And you would have to live with the regret. You would have to live with that troubled conscience. And this brings us into point five. Abigail says to David, you are going to regret this later. Maybe you won't regret it immediately, but in the future, someday you're going to look back and regret what you have done if you take Nabal's life. Abigail believed in David. That's what she said. She said, God has anointed you king. You're going to be king, David. She believed that. And she also counseled him, don't do something that's going to besmirch your reputation when you become king. Before you act, before you speak in anger, stop and think. Because one of the greatest things that you can do is get to the end of your life and look back and say, I've lived a life with no regrets. Now, oftentimes we do make mistakes because we're only human. We do foolish things. But it is a wonderful thing to be forgiven of those mistakes and reach the end and think, I have made what wrongs I have committed right. And I can look back with no regrets. Finally, Abigail says this to David. She says, you are a part of God's treasure. You are going to be king someday. Everybody knows that. And you have been bound up in a bundle with God. Now, what she's talking about here is how when a person would go on a trip, they would put together a bundle of all of their possessions. And they would put their most valued possessions in the middle of that bundle so that they wouldn't get misplaced or stolen. So what she's really saying to David here is, David, this action is unworthy of you. Remember who you are. You are God's treasure. Now, oftentimes that's a cliche, right? That our mothers told us before we went out with friends, she would say, remember who you are. But sometimes we do need to remember who we are. We need to be reminded that we are Christians. We are the children of of God. I think about 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, where Paul gives that list of ugly sins that the Corinthians were involved in. But then in verse 11, he said, And such were some of you, but now you've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. His encouragement to them was not to go back to those sins that they had been involved in.
Because as he says, that's not you anymore. You've been washed in the blood of Jesus. You've become a child of God. Don't be involved in that any longer. Well, we read David's response to Abigail. Here in 1 Samuel 25, verses 32 and 33, David says, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed is your advice. And blessed are you because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. Go up in peace to your house. See, I have heeded your voice and respected your person. David says, Thank God that you came, Abigail. If I hadn't met you today, I would have done this bloody deed. And men, let's thank God. Let's thank the godly women who have come into our lives and given us wise counsel and led us back onto the right track when we were wrong. Let's let their good works praise them in the gates. And that's what David did here. He and his men received Abigail's gifts and they sent her on her way in peace. Now the Bible says the next day uh, she went into the living room of her house and here's Nabal with a terrible hangover after his night of drinking. And he's sitting there on his stool. And Abigail comes in. She says, I want to tell you something, Nabal. If it hadn't been for me, you would have been dead right now. You and me and our whole family. David was on his way to destroy us. And it was only because of my intercession that we are alive today. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says Nabal's heart turned to stone. Apparently the news was so horrifying to him that he had a heart attack or a stroke or something. And he just fell over paralyzed. And they put him in bed and a few days later... The Lord struck him, and he died. And word of this got back to David, and he reflected on the situation, and he thanked God again for avenging his anointed, but at the same time restraining him from taking personal vengeance. Everything worked out because he trusted in the Lord. And then he got to thinking about this incredible woman, Abigail. And after the period of mourning, David remembered Abigail. And it says that he courted her and she agreed to marry him. And I'll tell you what, if David had kept Abigail as his one and only wife, it would have saved him from a lot of troubles down the road that he got himself into. But at this point, the story ends happily ever after. You see, David... He learned these qualities, this godly wisdom from Abigail. And when he was presented with opportunities later in his life to take Saul's life, he didn't do it. He restrained his hand and he waited on the Lord for deliverance. You know, God promises great blessings on those who will wait on him. And sometimes it's hard to wait, but we do the best we can. Friends, we need more godly women like Abigail. We need women who will act with wisdom, who will have the courage to do what is right no matter what, who will not allow unspiritual or foolish men 
to hold them back. We need women who are patient and wise and use their influence to dispel wrath instead of gossiping. We need respectful edification and gentle correction. Proverbs 31, verses 30 and 31. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. Friends, let's do our part to hold up godly women as role models and examples for our children and for the world. Friends, as we close this study, I want to ask you to consider your own life and think about the words of Abigail where she said, can you live, uh, can you say after taking this action, you'll have no regrets? Friends, it's a, it's a wonderful thing to live a life of no regrets. Think about what the epitaph on your tombstone might read. You know, I heard a very interesting story actually at the, the sulfur meeting in another sermon about Alfred Nobel, the founder of the Nobel Peace Prize, and how one day he woke up and he read the morning newspaper and he discovered his own obituary in the newspaper. It said, Alfred Nobel, the inventor of dynamite, died last night. He invented a new way to kill millions of people. and Because of it, he died a very rich man. Well, it was a mistake. It was his brother who had died. But that caused Mr. Nobel to reflect on his life and to think he didn't want to be known as the person who had invented a method for killing millions of people and becoming rich off of that. And so he created the Nobel Peace Prize. That is what he wanted his epitaph to read. And friends, I want you to know that you can change your life. If you find yourself on a path right now, you don't like where you're going. Don't continue. It'll only lead to regrets. And friends, the only way to live a life with no regrets is to be a Christian. And that's because try as we might, we all make mistakes. We're not perfect. We need Jesus to help us. As 1 John 1, 7 says, if we are walking in the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. If you are living as a Christian, you can have the assurance that you can be forgiven of whatever mistakes that you make. And so we want to invite you to get in the blood this morning. As Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. And when you come up out of the water, we're called to walk in the light as he was in the light, to follow in the footsteps of our master. And then you can reach the end of your life and say with confidence, I have lived a life of no regrets. Friends, if we can assist you in obeying the gospel or you have another spiritual need, we invite you to come forward right now while we stand and sing.